Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the opening episode of Swigcast, a monthly podcast brought to you by the team behind the Daily Swig. I'm John Layden. And I'm Catherine Chapman. In our first episode, we're looking at that person in the black hoodie, the one hunched over a computer screen typing sinister code. A hacker, right? Maybe it was. I mean, it could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could also be lots of other people. It also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? You don't know who broke in to DNC. Yes, but let's be clear with history. Hacker, when it originated, was a very positive word. Cracker was the bad guy. Hacker was the good guy. Mm. Then press and the media turned hacker into something dangerous and, and maybe criminal, which was incorrect. And now I think we are correcting it back. Yes, a hacker. But what do we mean by that term? Well, it's more complicated than you might think. The first recorded mention in print, at least, of the term hacker related to phone freaking and it appeared in a 60s edition of MIT's Technology Review. But actually, the term, even at that point, was did refer to uh, messing around with computer code, particularly on Unix systems. Well, the term has certainly changed a lot, and it didn't take long for it to become synonymous with criminality. That's why 1986 brought the Hacker Manifesto, which was a rallying counter cry to banish all criminal connotations that were associated with the term. Why does this even matter, John? It really does matter, Catherine. And one of the main reasons that it matters is because we want to get more people interested in computer security as a career. And computer security actually involves hacking around with codes. It involves getting people interested in how technology works. Now, what runs contrary to that is the idea that if you get into computer security, if you become a hacker, wow, you're a nerd, or you're doing something criminal, or you're doing something, you know, mendacious, or malign, or all these bad M words. I hate to say it, John, but neither of us are hackers. But to help answer those questions, we're joined now by Paul Johnson and Santiago Diaz. Welcome, guys. Say hello to our listeners and tell them what you do for a living. Hi, uh, my name is Paul, and, well, my job is to keep the bad guys out of your online banking. Hey, my name is Santi. I'm a web security toolsmith at Portswigger. What's a web security toolsmith? So at Portswigger, we do research on novel ways to hack into stuff. Uh, we experiment with things and we try them on the internet and we strive to find methods um, that work for the most popular apps. If some of our ideas work, then we translate them into software, we implement them into nice features, and we release that to the public. And do you consider yourself a hacker? Yeah, I think I am a hacker. That's right. <laughs> a hacker in the sense that I am a tinker and that I like to repurpose technology. When you tell people, maybe those working outside of technology, what you do for a living, do they understand? They definitely don't understand. Um, most people see technology most people see technology as a black box and they don't really, it's an abstract process for them to imagine data flowing 
across the globe and reaching servers here and there and to them this is like like some sort of black magic it's some sort of hidden knowledge that we have so when people ask me what i do i often have to come up with some sort of analogy or oversimplify it when my parents ask me what i do um, i have to give them a rough overview of what information security is and how our job affects the information security community as opposed to telling them the details of what we do. Paul, can you tell us a bit more about what you do? All sorts of companies build websites that consumers use and the security of these matter. Uh, they might be holding your private data or they might have more than that. They might, like a bank or a credit card company, have control of your finances. So if there's some kind of security failure in this website, it's going to affect your life. You could lose money or you could have to spend hours on the phone unraveling fraud. If your private information from your email is leaked, you know, this could be really embarrassing. Um, it could also have really bad consequences if you're involved in any kind of transaction. Um, and you think, well, these, these big companies, surely they're going to have people on this. They're going to have people looking after this. And this is, this is exactly where people like myself and Santi come in. Because actually often big um, enterprise companies, the sort of employment environment they offer doesn't mesh very well with the sort of environment that hacker kind of people want to work in. So very often they outsource their security efforts and they hire pen testing companies and they also get specialist software in to help them. Paul, it sounds like you've been in the game for a while, and that's not a crack about how old you are. Listeners should know Mr. Johnson looks very youthful. But from your experience, I'm wondering if people are more aware of what you do for a living now than they were, say, five to ten years ago. Cybersecurity is in the news all the time now. People in general are really aware of it. And, um, I mean, I remember um, years ago when I worked as a pen tester, I'd explained to some people even people who worked in IT, that we'd try and hack into their site, not to screw them over, but to give them a nice report of all their security weaknesses. And at first people were like, oh, no way. I didn't, I, I didn't realize that that was a thing people did. But I think these days, I guess you'd agree with me that this is just, people are not surprised at all. I think a very common um, perception people have of hackers is that you hack into something in the first place because uh, you want to have some profit out of it. You're you're getting gaining access into a system where you're not authorized to go into in the first place, and more and more people become aware that there is a whole. Uh, consultancy industry around information security and it might be strange even for tech savvy people as you say to um, to like listen to a description of a job where you are a hacker that is trying to find the bugs and the holes before actual hackers do it and that's a bit contradictory isn't it I think it has to do with the con the negative connotations that the word hacker has in the media, which is like, you know, is what people are used to hearing. Paul, do you agree that the term hacker has gained negative connotations in the media? Absolutely. You know, right now, hacker is used in an entirely negative co connotation. It's not kept with its original meaning of someone who likes to look under the bonnet, of someone who likes to tinker. It is almost exclusively used 
with a negative connotation. You very occasionally in like non-mainstream media, um, you'd hear people using it in its original sense. Um, I mean, for instance, in Manchester, we're very lucky to have MadLab, which describes itself as a hackerspace. Um, but this is in the certainly in the mainstream media, and if you were to ask my my nana or someone, hacker would entirely mean a bad person who should be feared. I I totally agree with you, but I think it's it's a little bit easier said than done because um, if you think about it, technology is a weapon that can be used to um, you know it. It depends on how you use technology, and that's what gives the, puts technology in a context, right? So um, it's not clear when somebody becomes a criminal by using technology, and when they are, um, you know, supposedly helping somebody else. I'm sure if you ask somebody from like anonymous whether what they are doing by, you know, running a denial of service attack against a big corporation, they're not going to tell you that they feel like they're criminals but they're rather doing something for the greater good. Thanks so much for your answers. You know, I think they really address one of the main themes we're kind to draw out and discuss in this podcast, which is, if it isn't too existential, what is it to be a hacker? I actually feel that the fact that the term hacker has been repurposed reflects a broader change in society. Because if we go back a few decades... Everyone had a load of tools in their garage. It was very normal that you'd tinker with your car engine, that if something broke, you'd fix it. And what's happened in recent years is we've moved this kind of sealed box society. Everything comes with a label saying no user serviceable parts inside. And, and I, I think this is a bad thing. And I think it's completely epitomized by this idea that if you have the knowledge to look under the on it, you're automatically associated with these kind of criminals who'd look under the bonnet and use it for bad things. Okay, but does being a hacker require a certain level of technical knowledge? Santi, I feel like you have something to say on this. You often hear many developers talking about how they hack some code together by saying that they got a few pieces here and there and they put them together and now they've hack something that is useful. I personally don't think that that should classify as hacking. I don't think either that a hacker has to have a certain amount of technical knowledge. I believe hacking in itself is a process by which you understand deeply how something works and your understanding of it is such that you can change the way it works. To me, hacking is very much about repurposing about reusing and recycling, which is driven by creativity and by curiosity. And in that sense, I don't think you need to have any amount of technical knowledge in a specific area to become a hacker. Yeah, the hacker is always like a self-described label. But for people who do hacker-like work within a commercial environment, there are now properly recognized qualifications. And the leading one is Crest. Um, which is actually something that um, is UK-based but is starting to spread internationally. And to become CREST certified, um, you have to pass an assault course. They, they, they give you applications that you have to really hack. And if you pull some of the secrets out, if you get enough of them out, you pass the exam 
and you become a Crest certified tester. This counterintuitive criticism of certs against the prevailing ideas is really interesting. Well, I think um, there are some very popular certifications that are not necessarily very good because they're popular. So if you compare the certified ethical hacker certification against, say, the offensive security certified professional, uh, you realize that the former is, uh, is, um, goes through a process in which you have to answer to a number of technical questions. And if you get you know, more than n number of them right, then you get certified. Whether, whereas the latter is more about your ability to discover assets, to think, to reason about networks and about how to infiltrate those networks. But most importantly, it's testing your ability to be able to communicate that, what the risk is of something abstract that we call a bug or a security vulnerability. And in that sense, they're certifying your ability to become a consultant, which sure, it has something to do with security, but in general, it's in terms of writing a report, being able to sell the risk of a specific vulnerability and getting it, getting it fixed. Actually, thinking about it, I have observed some negative effects of this. <clears throat> some years ago, I, re I remember being at careers fairs trying to recruit pen testers. And, and we had sort of a few key skills we were looking for. And our earlier experience had been that if people had these skills, then that meant they tried to learn stuff that they got great understanding. And then at some point, we seemed to hit this point where people would turn up and they'd kind of have the skills, they'd have the kind of tick in the boxes, but they would not have the underlying understanding. And I feel what this represented was a change in the education system. And it meant these people were educated to exactly hit these required skills, but they didn't have the hacker mindset. And that was a massive barrier for them succeeding. That's a really good point about people who are able to complete technical exercise. So they maybe have the theoretical knowledge not having the practical skills to actually do the work. Definitely. But let's go back to media representations. How do we see hackers depicted in popular culture? Are they ever without their black hoodies? So there's a common theme in films like hackers or war games where, uh, you know, the number of pixels on your screen and the number of colors that you have on, this, on your screen says how, how, much, how, how skilled you are at hacking. Um, and there's often this uh, theme, recurrent theme of like being a libertarian, fighting against like big corporations, uh, you know, doing this for the greater good, hack the planet is a slogan that everybody knows because of these reasons. And then you compare that against things like Firewall or Swordfish or even Die Hard, I guess. And, and you find a very different representation of what being a hacker is. You often find somebody who's a criminal, who's uh, been rejected or ostracized by the system, and who's hired by some criminal gang to steal money or to pull some sort of heist. And that tells you a lot about like how the representations of hacking in the media have evolved. I guess this has a lot to do with what, with what Paj was saying about um, looking under the bonnet and having this culture of uh, knowing the things you own and being able to fix them yourself and how that um, contrasts with our like current society of having everything done and sort of 
you know, buying new things when the old things don't work anymore. One thing I've noticed is the depiction of hacking doesn't have to be realistic for it to be enjoyable. There was a film in the 90s, Lawnmower Man, which, which large chunks of this took place within virtual reality. And I'm pretty sure that how it was depicted is nothing like how virtual reality hacking would actually look. But it was very engaging. I've seen other films that aren't accurate, which are terrible. Um, Die Hard 4, I felt, was a particularly poor example. And they use hacking to kind of avoid having any kind of proper plot, because if, if the protagonist hit some kind of hurdle, they just hack around it, and that particular plot hole disappears. And I, I find that to be a... To, to really detract from the enjoyment. I think I should give some uh, particular credit to uh, Matrix Reloaded, because as far as I'm aware, this was the first film to feature actual shots of real hacking tools that people use, which includes um, Nmap, which is a, a widely used network scanner. And the only slight plot hole there, of course, is that these were tools from 2003 in a movie that set some hundreds of years in the future, but hey. But The Matrix is a great example because it's this group of people who are, again, fighting against the machines, against this, like, dystopian future, using their hacking skills to get away from this, to spark a revolution, which is, again, all this libertarian or sort of romantic idea of what hacking is. Yeah, and, and actually, in the other direction, there are things from the Matrix that have permeated back into hacking culture. Um, so they, they were told, you want to take the blue pill or the red pill? Um, and this, in, in hacking culture, um, if a bit of malware wants to detect whether it's running like on an actual victim's computer or within a virtual machine controlled by a malware researcher, um, then it can do a test which is sometimes called the blue pill, which is to, to kind of to tell whether it's within the matrix. I feel like we only just scratched the surface. How about you, John? I agree. Um, I think one of the takeaways from this is that if people are interested in information security, they have to start thinking about hacking and start viewing it, uh, viewing hackers as the good guys because they really are. Sansi and Paul seem all right, and no black hoodies on either of them. I've seen Sansi in a black hoodie, I'll have you know. We may need to save that for another podcast. Thanks for listening to the inaugural Swigcast, the podcast that goes beyond the headlines, analyzing an infosec topic often unanswered. Until next time, adios. Swigcast terminated.